cats get production credits. We feel it's important that everyone who contributes gets a nod, and my cats remind me of a few things. Take lots of naps, but take no shit. Basically, no gods, no meowsters. And special shout out to Ghost, who's being a very good boy as I go on a field trip to my friend Taylor's house to record this episode about mutual aid. So, welcome to Red Leg Revolution. Our only hope is each other. A few things. One, if you find us on iHeartRadio, be sure to click Red Leg Revolution. I mentioned this because I found out the other day that six weeks after I started this show, some dude started a show called Red Pill Revolution. When I looked, he had one episode up, but by the description, it's probably like the antithesis to this show. I wanted to make sure you all know that I don't have a hand in a Red Blank Revolution podcast network. I don't know this dude, and I'm not going to give him any play, but I reckon we wouldn't be friends anyway. And secondly, we finally got enough plays to get an Anchor FM sponsorship, so if there's a commercial in a weird place, that's why. Any money made from this show is going to better equipment so I can produce some shows that y'all want to start. By the way, if you want to start a show, I'm the guy to talk to. All right, uh, finally. All right, now we're at the introduction. <laughs> Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, the podcast about community. That's our whole shtick, helping connect people to build a better world from the literal ashes of the old. Last week, we had a discussion about fascism, and that took a lot out of me. So Amy and Amanda will be joining us again in a few weeks to continue that particular discussion. Today, though, we're going to bring some positivity to counterbalance the doomsaying of the first few episodes. Plus, between fascists and Ronald Reagan, I need some sunshine. So today we have Taylor with Kansas City Mutual Aid with us to discuss solidarity. Yeah, we're talking about solidarity. Not in a theoretical sense, but in a practical manner. Like, what is solidarity? How do we build solidarity? And how can you achieve solidarity in your community? Spoiler alert, mutual aid helps. So, how, how, how are you feeling, Taylor? How's, how's life? What are your thoughts on the world? Um... I'm feeling pretty all right. Um, this it happens to be the time of year where you see a lot of people engage in more uh, charity and solidarity work, just given the the nature of the the holiday season in the U.S. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of projects people have going on. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty I'm pretty good. Good. Awesome. So I, I feel like it. I'm, I'm, I'm just bringing it up because I spent four hours doing an episode yesterday from writing it to producing it. Christ, I hope they convict Kyle Rittenhouse because, yeah, that's going to get scary real quick. <laughs> so, uh, Taylor, how would you describe a community? What does a community mean? What does that mean to you? What is a community? Um, to me, a community is a group of people that look out for one another, support one another, um, and uh, are just there for one another in a way that's a little bit different um, than I think we we have right now. Um, uh, I feel like community building is something that takes effort and time and dedication. You can't just walk into a group and be like, oh, this is my community. Um, it takes a degree of, of trust and education and cultural competency. Yeah. Um, that I feel like people often take for granted. That's, I think, really evident, too, because, I mean, I've lived 
in all different types of economic strata when it came to my community and there are definitely you can't just show up anywhere whether it's the suburbs or the inner city and be like i'm part of this you have to ingratiate yourself into what's existing and personally i much preferred ingratiating myself into more urban communities because the suburban ones their idea their notion of community was so skewed it was community in a very superficial way versus actual direct mutual aid from you know assistance from your community you know yeah i i would i would tend to agree um thinking about like the suburbs it's, it's a lot of performative community yes um and that and that's not something that appeals to me at all i like knowing my neighbors but also helping my neighbors mm -hmm. and for them to help me you know being able to alert my neighbors if something's going on we look out for one another um it's not just who who's part of the state way yeah right or, you know whose kids also go to school with my you know like my future kids it, it's more than that um and it's having confidence um in my neighbors to to be there for me and vice versa. Right on. I'm you actually hit the nail on the head. Uh, Taylor has not seen this script, so it's awesome that they brought up that. So community is our only hope at surviving these difficult times that we're facing with climate change, fascism, random 17-year-olds murdering people in the street, you know. Uh, community is how we're going to get through it. Uh, so that being said, and this is not directed at you, Taylor, because I already know the answers. So listener. Do you know the names of your neighbors? Are they your friends? Do you have any idea of the type of work the guy three doors down does? Besides right kryptonite, that is. Does your neighbor know what skills you have? In short, how tight-knit is your community? I thought I blacked all this stuff out and we kind of just covered it. Oh wait, I guess no, I didn't later. Ah, I love having a script to just kind of bounce off of. So we kind of just actually touched on this. Um, so I'll go ahead and bring it up again. But uh, in my experience, I felt the biggest sense of community in the more economically depressed parts of town I've lived in. On the block, everyone knows each other. Once you've hit that level of trust and built yourself into the community, you know who's still working that construction job, who just quit at Walmart, and who's slinging pot to stay afloat. You spend time in driveways or stoops, backyards or porches, trying to beat the heat since no one has a working AC, drinking cheap beer and smoking weed. That was my experience with the community, and I fucking loved it. It was great. By the way, no FCC. I fucking loved it. It was great. I missed the hood. I love where I'm at now because there is a more kind of, it's Lawrence, so there is like an actual sense of real community, but you don't get as wild as you do, you know, <laughs> with cool people. So, yeah, so, but you, you watch out for each other, and... It's even more so, this touches on that superficial thing. There's a big difference between the type of watching out that we see in more economically depressed areas versus suburban areas, because the suburban's so superficial. Well, and it's like a while ago, I had a neighbor who is no longer my neighbor, thankfully. Um, and while he and I had a pretty decent relationship, he was incredibly racist and threatened to to call ICE on some of my other neighbors um, and get them deported. Now, I don't know their immigration status, 
I'm not assuming one way or another, um, but in that racist tirade he was throwing, I took it upon myself to sit on my front porch and, and wait until he was done to make sure the cops didn't show up. I remember that. Yeah, you posted to, about it. To intervene if that happened. And this was all over a, a parking space, actually. Uh, free street parking, but, you know, whatever <laughs> people off these days. But after that, you know, I wanted to make sure that though the neighbors that he was yelling at knew that that if something was awry or went awry, that they, they could lean on me if need be. And, um, and we have a very nice relationship now and they always say hi and so it's like a different kind of looking out because i feel like in, in the suburbs people just shut their doors close their windows look the other way yeah um so anytime we've got stuff going on whether it is you know police in the neighborhood um or you know someone needs a job done that kind of thing we we notify each other so that we keep in contact and have that kind of support network that's a little bit different based on the circumstances in this neighborhood. Which is as it should be because a good community is going to respond to the needs of all its citizens, which means it's going to fluctuate because mm -hmm. an individual's needs fluctuate. So Absolutely. So when I lived in the suburbs, I found the exact same thing. Like the layouts, the neighborhoods themselves are detrimental to forging actual community. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the comparison of Lawrence, uh, say Overland Park, I've lived in both places. The fact that only one, not a single place I lived in in OP had alleys, yeah. which, you know, doesn't seem like that big a deal, but I don't know how many times I got to know the people in my neighborhood because there was an alley and I was always out there doing crap and they'd come out, you know, across the street behind me, whatever. So, you know, it's it's built that way. And I, I feel like there's a deliberate effort to that type of building and that type of city planning and layout. It's kind of a more insidious way to be detrimental to us building a sense of community because a true sense of community is threatening to the powers that be. Now this may just be me being paranoid talking out my ass, but that's why you tuned into this show. So uh, we should all, you know, strive to know our community and value our sense of community. Um, as we talked a little in the uh, last episode, our best chance to get through the next 50 years is in each other. In order to do that, we have to get to know one another. We have to start forming a community rather than just a bunch of people who just happen to live within proximity of one another. That all needs to start now. Community begins with good deeds, so let's talk about good deeds. Without getting spiritual, esoteric, or ecclesiastical, that, that word means God, a good deed has actual ramifications here and now. The model of pay it forward is a real thing, and it's important in building our communities because good deeds breed good deeds. And now that's the section I struck, haha. Okay, uh, so, do, 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 sorry. Uh, I've, I've been through editing this thing like four times, but it always changes. Yeah, you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, if y'all wanna like ever or pretend like you're doing, you know, do what I do, write a 5,000 word script, cut it down to 3,000 words, get it back up to 4,000 words, cut it down to 2,000 words, mm -hmm. and that's not even counting all the, you know, logistical stuff, so. Uh, so have you ever heard the phrase, can you do me a solid? Yeah. That's one of my favorite phrases. Uh, I actually 
brought that up when I was writing this and kind of interested me to think where where'd that come from you know I mean and actually I was quite surprised I figured it would have came back from the you know 60s black power movement or you know maybe the Latino movement in the 40s or whatever uh, now actually Seinfeld popularized it so uh, uh, from Superlingo by dot com by Lauren Gwaine Georgia wrote about the phrase, do me a solid, back in 2013. As with most slang, it's difficult to trace the origin, origin of the phrase. The best suggestion Georgia had was that it was likely a trunc truncation of a longer phrase like, do me a favor, do me a solid favor. Arnold Zwicky, always attentive with slang watch, had a post from 2011 on the phrase. He had a quote from the American Dialectic Society, or Dialect Society discussion that suggested it could be a truncation of do me a solid service from 1963. So it's possible that there was something. But between our post and AZ's Arnold's Wiki, there's not a whole lot of clarity as to when and where people started using the phrase or when it had its heyday. Some people don't recall hearing it until the 1991 Seinfeld usage, while other people think of it as a 1970s West, West Coast USA surfer phrase. So, like, Seinfeld. <laughs> like, yeah. Seinfeld is very problematic and I'm not going to get into right now, but you know, that's, that's how, that was a meme before the internet, you know, uh, God. So before the internet, I guess shit posters were just all of us wandering around yelling the best lines from all TV shows. Uh, I'm just like wandering around at 10 years old going, she's the means of production. <laughs> so I like to think of that phrase, do me a solid another way. I think of it as, can you do me a favor and at the same time help build a solid community? After all, you can't spell solidarity without solid, and you can't spell community without you. Hey, name drop the episode title. Because every time we help a friend, neighbor, comrade, family member, or stranger out, we are building a solid community of mutual aid, of mutual dependence. Don't be scared by that word, dependence. Sure, dependence can be a bad thing, but that depends on the context. A codependent relationship may not be that healthy, but it dependent on my tax returns getting me those sweet monthly Biden bucks for another year. I'll give him that, at least he put that in there. I should have been more than 250, but whatever. I, I digress. Uh, a dependence on alcohol or crack cocaine is probably detrimental to your health. No judgment here. There are a lot of factors that go into into drug addiction, uh, but you know, if you're putting blow up your ass, it's probably not good for something. Uh, but a dependence on food is, and water is what keeps us alive. It really depends on the situation. <laughs> How many times did I just say depend? <laughs> this episode brought to you by depend. <laughs> They'll hold your shit in. Uh, so think about when you were a baby, you were completely dependent on your caregivers. Is that a bad thing? Libertarians would say yes. Give that baby a mining pick and a cigar. Back in our day, we didn't play Minecraft, we lived Minecraft. No, the dependence of a child is not a bad thing because you're a human and you deserve basic care. And most people would inherently care for you if need be. Humans as a whole aren't evil creatures with some notable exceptions like Hitler or Jeff. Seriously, fuck that dude. He knows what he did. There's not real death. <laughs> uh, so it's not a moral failing to be dependent on your community. In a lot of ways, we already are. When I drive my car, I'm depending on everyone else following traffic rules and not driving like they think they're playing GTA and have a five-star wanted level. 
When the pandemic hit, I depended on my community to wear masks, social distance, quarantine. Yeah, I know a lot of people didn't, but the people in my community did, and that's the important thing. My community recognized the value of being inconvenienced to save us all. Now that the vaccine is available, I'm depending on my community to assist in eradicating it. Go get your shots if you haven't already, and if you have, time for a booster. I know I'm due for one, uh, and I just found out I can get one. Yay! I got mine last Tuesday, so. Sweet. No COVID for any of us. Um, so yeah, uh, we're depending on our community. On a more interpersonal level, I moved recently. When I asked for help, my community responded, and I had a free trailer and extra muscles available. My friends have saved me from self-harm, from suicide attempts. I've been fed more times than I can count when I didn't have money for food. I've been housed when I was homeless. Yeah, I was homeless, by the way. If y'all didn't know that, yeah, three times. So don't figure that people, you know people's stories. Uh, I've been taken care of when I was sick by my community. I'm dependent on my community, and I'm thankful that I have my community to be dependent on. So you got any thoughts on community on? Yeah, so when I got into mutual aid, um, I, I didn't have a very clear idea of what that was. Um, and then I realized there was a lot of stuff that I had been doing on my own um, in different communities that I had been involved with. and. Um, and then when I met um, Bailey and Allie and the rest of the folks who um, are admins and moderators in the mutual aid group, um, they all brought the different needs and perspectives for their part of town, for their individual smaller communities to the table. Um, and we had a lot of discussions about um, how do we how do we prioritize need? How do we determine whose needs um, like whose needs to fulfill uh, first, and uh, you know how to go about those needs in a way that was building up, um, not just throwing a bandaid on a situation. Um, we've done a really good job of creating a structure where there are you know, one-to-one -one peer donations um, or support and, and, and really working on learning how to ask for, for help. Um, one of the things that I think American individualism has taught us is we, we aren't supposed to be reliant or dependent on other folks. Um, we're supposed to be hyper-individualist um, and we are supposed to, um, you know, fend for ourselves that bootstrap mentality, yep. which which doesn't actually make sense and is not constructive. Um, to your point, you know, children are dependent on their caregivers, and eventually it goes full mm -hmm. um, full cycle. And our caregivers, you know, we had as kids often end up dependent on their children yep. um, at a certain point, and. It was it was a very big wake up call for me um, to really look at okay you know what is, who in my community is doing what what resources are already available um, what programs are running and who can we connect people with um, you know who are already doing the things 
We don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, and there are a lot of good programs and um, events that go on in our neighborhoods. And so it was really just learning how to connect people with the resources that they needed um, in a way that helped build them up. And then they would in turn refer people to those programs and resources. Um, and then also um, teaching people um, that it was okay, I don't, maybe not teach, teach is probably a bad word. Um, letting people know that it is okay to ask for help and they aren't gonna get shamed for it. Yeah, that's a big one. I see a lot, uh, have saw a lot during the pandemic, particularly in the unemployment groups I was in. If you wanna know about my journey on the unemployment, there's an episode about that, you should check it out. But one thing that I like definitely saw was there was a lot of instances where people were getting desperate because unemployment wasn't paying out like they're supposed to. And they'd go to these unemployment groups and be like, what do I do? I don't have any diapers. And I would jump in and be like, yo, so-and-so mutual aid or this program but before i had that chance there were half dozen unemployed other unemployed people like oh well shaming them or doing the whole trauma olympics where it's like oh you can't afford diapers we're about to kick money out of my house and this is not constructive this is not conducive uh we are going to take a short commercial break and by short i mean as long as i want to because i'm pretty despotic it's my show I, I didn't invent capitalism. I just I just exist in it. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Uh, so yeah, we will be right back. Uh, Taylor, is there any product, service, group, error, you know, thing? Do you want to plug? Plug something. Um, I you know what? Right now, I'm gonna plug Nourish KC, which is an organization off of Ace and Paseo that feeds our uh, working poor and houseless community. If you haven't heard of them before, they do hot lunches Monday through Friday um, for the community year-round, and they are run almost entirely by volunteers. So check them out and give a shout-out to Ms. Linda, who organizes all of that. Very nice. And uh, Taylor is going to send me a list of all these mutual aid groups, and I will post them in the comments. In the meantime, uh, capitalism?
was a... There we go. Okay. And we're back. You're listening to Red Leg Revolution, the show about community. I'm here talking to Taylor with Kansas City Mutual Aid. Uh, We just talked a bit about uh, what community is, what it was, or what we consider it, how we help our community. So let's talk about dual power. Taylor, do you know about dual, dual power? Oh, you know about it even if you don't know about it. Yeah, you're going to have to give me, give me a definition on that one because okay. I'm not recognizing it offhand. Oh, it's it's all good. Honestly, it's a concept that I knew about but didn't know about up until about a year ago. So uh, I think it kind of built out of the pandemic. Uh, so dual power, dual power is building institutions within your community to fill in where the established institution like the state are lacking. So you're already doing that, you know, like distributing the information about these different groups, obviously, like food insecurity, perfect example. If we, you know, had food stamps for everybody regardless and didn't means test it, the need for community food, it would be less, you know. And so institutions like what you're working on right now, that's dual power. Okay, cool, yeah. Okay. I didn't know that there was a a name for it. I didn't either. And it was really cool when I found out because I was like, oh, that's a badass name. That's like, I, I I would name my power rock band that, you know. Welcome, it's Dual Power! <laughs> so dual power is cool as shit. And dual power starts within the community. Efforts of mutual aid build dual power, like we were just saying. Mutual aid can be a variety of things. But, and this is where Taylor's like, totally going to be on point. It's never charity. Mm -hmm. This is an important distinction because of how power structures work. Do you want to say something on that before I hop on what I've got? Yeah, I think that is something um, that people really get hung up on. It's like, well, you know, I donate to Red Cross or I donate to Goodwill or the Salvation Army or I mean, those are all acts of charity. When we talk about mutual aid, it is getting people what they actually need to to get ahead. It's filling the void that is left with things like WIC or food stamps can't cover a certain thing. Or, um, for example, we had uh, one of the, the members had a car um, that she uh, no longer needed, and she wanted to make sure that... I'm glad you're talking yeah. about this. I actually had it in here, and I forgot to be like, hey, can we talk about this? Yes, tell yeah. us about the car. Yeah, so we had um, a member who had a car. It was completely paid off. She just wanted to get a new car, um, and instead of trading in and using that as capital, she had the funds and the resources to just get a new car, um, and so she wanted to you know, impact someone's life in a way um, that would help them get ahead. Um, and so we ended up, the, the most equitable way we could think about giving the car away as a donation um, was do it through a raffle. So we had everybody enter the raffle um, and it went to uh, a young woman who uh, was in the middle of her fifth or sixth, uh, fifth or sixth month of a high-risk uh, pregnancy, and she had had pre- two previous high-risk pregnancies, and so had two little ones, um, and 
had been really struggling to get rides to and from appointments and her kids' appointments. Let me uh, clarify real quick here, if those of you, if you don't have kids at home, uh, both my kids were considered a high-risk pregnancy. So high-risk pregnancies mean you're not going like to the doctor once a month in the beginning. It's like once every couple weeks and later on it's basically you're going like what two, three times more often yeah. than, than standard. So it's not just like, oh, I can't make that twice a month doctor's appointment. You're going to all sorts of doctors, uh, various therapists or specialists or whatever. So that just if you don't have kids you, or if you were lucky and didn't have a high risk pregnancy, that's that's a big deal, you know. Yeah. And so it, the car, uh, luckily, went to her, um, and then we raised the funds uh, for the the tag and title, and then first month of insurance. Um, and her getting that car put her ahead. It didn't just, it wasn't just like a handout. It was, it was. I hate using this term, but it was like a hand up. Mm -hmm. um, it was a way for her to have something that filled a void that she was constantly facing insecurities about. Um, transportation insecurity is a thing, and you know, while I appreciate and also question sometimes a lot of the things that Mayor Q has done for Kansas City, yes. the fact that transportation, public transit yes. here is free was a huge step for a lot of folks. Um, and so helping alleviate for this member, uh, the ability for her to get to and from these doctor's appointments and never having to question how she was going to get there um, or if her rides fell through um, was a way for one of our members to directly impact another member um, in a way that the government and other community resources would fall through. Yeah. And that's awesome. I I was watching all this unfold on Facebook and just like my little commie anarchist ass is just like, oh my God, yay! I was, I was so excited to see that go down. Well, and it was cool because then we had another member who, um, who had different, was facing different um, struggles and, and insecurities, um, but she was so inspired to do that that her car, um, they were replacing her car um, and she did the exact same thing. So um, it's kind of one of those that is inspiring for others to, to do good works um, and having an avenue to, to do those things. Because a lot of times what we find is that people need help and they don't know who to ask or they don't know how to ask um, and they don't know exactly what it is that they're looking for. Um, and so we've done a lot of the preliminary research for folks like uh, Allie and I went through and, com and created um, multiple Google calendars that have all of the uh, food pantries, uh, diaper pantries, uh, hot meals that are served throughout town um, for our eight counties that make up the greater metropolitan area in Lawrence. Um, and then we can say, hey, Oh, you need a you need a bed. You can contact Sleepyhead Beds. They're they're an organization that specializes just in that. Or, oh, you need to know where the diaper pantries are. Happy Bottoms yep. is who to contact. Or, oh, you need you know period um, administration supplies. Uh, Nicole, I Nicole Springer. It is okay. Springer. I forgot what the name was. Yeah, I remember no Nicole Springer, yeah. but I didn't remember the. Yeah, we're like, we can say, hey, you can reach out to this organization. They can help you. 
and it's a lot of putting people in contact with organizations they didn't know existed. Yeah, and that's something I think that we, I don't know if it's like a problem or if it's just the way things are. I think it's, I think it's quashed because of that individualistic, uh, American capitalistic bootstraps bullshit, but we have so many programs to benefit everyone. And like, I know through my own personal experience, I didn't know these programs existed for the longest amount of time. And I run in pretty radical circles, but you know, when Food Not Bombs is doing two events uh, a month and it's not publicized, I don't know to go down there and get dinner. Uh, it was really cool when we used to do the uh, really, really free market of Revolution Records, and I don't know if we're going to get that started again uh, after this all starts. Promise, if you're listening, hit me up. Let's let's figure it out. But uh, we used to have uh, Food Not Bombs there. We'd have the really, really free market. IWW would set up a table. DSA was there once, and like we'd just engage the community. Downside is, is it was at Revolution Records, so it's kind of off the beaten path. But, but yeah, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But dual power, yeah. yes, dual power. We're gonna probably come back to that car because I'm pretty sure I wrote it somewhere in here too. So, but it's out there. Note the car, the car's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, for mutual aid, da, da, da. So, charity, that's where we're at. Charity, okay. So charity comes from the top down. Uh, there is no equality in charity. Charity is, charity is a is a power thing. Charity comes from those with means to those less fortunate. This is an inherent power disparity in that line of thinking, and that's the problem with charity. Like, charity is good. Help your friends. Like, but charity and mutual aid are two distinctly different animals. Uh, and because of that power structure, so, for example, that power disparity is the winner will give charity, the losers take charity, which is that culture thing we were just talking about. A lot of people don't want to reach out, even if they know of these groups, because they've internalized that bootstrap capitalist message where if I have to depend on anyone, I'm a failure. Spoiler, you're not a failure if you have to depend on your community. In fact, I would make the counter argument that you are a failure if you don't have any ties to your community and you're way out on your own limb. That's just my take. Uh, so even by doing a charitable deed, one is reinforcing power structures, which in turn allow things like racism or sexism to exist. That's a really esoteric thing. I don't think we're going to get into it here, how power structures reinforce these things and how reinforcing power structures it's all some anarchist theory, but it is it is the case. Maybe someday. Um, so yeah, for example, charity is giving a man a fish. You can take it away, for example, if he begins to talk about how no, how no one wants to work anymore. The ability to withdraw necessary resources on a whim also demonstrates the power imbalance. The ability to withdraw support often leads to skewed results. I feel like this is endemic to capitalism. I gave you a job and I can take it away. This allows the bosses to give you responsibilities without pay, schedule you with no regard to your work-home life balance, or endanger you for the sake of efficiency. He still has the power to take it away if you don't comply. Thankfully, we're seeing that power dynamic shift today. Yo, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about the, you know, everybody's like, fuck you, we're not gonna work unless we, you know, get paid. 
Uh, yeah, if you're working a shitty job, go try to find, and, and shitty by society's definition. There are no shitty jobs in my work, except being a cop, because you're not a worker, but everybody else is. Uh, yeah, you should work at McDonald's, tell them you want 25, 25 an hour, you'll walk. Um, yeah, so comparing that mutual aid is teaching somebody to fish. You cannot take that knowledge from them. They're no longer dependent on you, and more importantly, they have the ability to teach others as well as feed themselves. They don't have to continue to keep you happy to keep the fish coming. Now, get real, get personal for a second. I've been a receiver of charity. I've also been a receiver of mutual aid. Numerous times when I was a kid, the only reason we had a bountiful Christmas was because of the Catholic church that my parents were part of. Part of. We'd get adopted and get some Christmas presents we couldn't afford, some new clothes, and a Christmas dinner box. As a kid, I loved it because I knew my parents couldn't afford the things on my list, but these well-meaning Catholics could. Then, Christmas break would end, and I'd have to go back to parochial school with the kids of those who gave me the charity. The kids looked down on me because I had to receive that charity. They'd insult me, they'd make fun of me, because they knew they bought the gifts that I would end up getting because my parents couldn't. Because this is why bootstrap, bootstrap mentality sucks. But mutual aid is different. Mutual aid is exactly what the name says. Mutual aid. The inherent premise behind it is stated right there. I will help you and you will help me. There is no hierarchy. No one has the power in the interaction because they're on equal footing. Of course I'll teach you to fish, Bob. After all, you taught me how to weave better baskets or fix the gear shaft on my car. Something like that. Mutual aid is sharing knowledge and empowering one another, among other things. Got anything you want to add? Yeah, the the way that I've always seen um, mutual aid in action is it's not yeah it's not a band-aid mentality. It's not like a, oh I'll feed you this this one time. It's like how do we work together to make improve your situation? Yeah. How do we work together to improve my circumstances? Whatever it is, uh, it's a mutual kind of growth and healing opportunity. Yeah. Um. That's kind of like um, when I uh, had gotten divorced and was living on my own, I was survive on like $34 a paycheck plus whatever I might make in tips delivering pizza. Um, and that $34 was after I paid you know, my car note and rent, utilities, all of that. And so I never thought in my mind, oh, I can go to a food bank or yeah. or anything along those lines because I was hyper independent. I was like, oh, not me, bootstrap, we'll all get out of it somehow. <laughs> and looking back on that now, I really wish I had had the mentality of saying, hey, like I, I need some, some help. And it wasn't until a friend of mine said, you live on $34 in two weeks for food. And I said, yep, food and, and whatever, gas and entertainment or whatever I wanted to do. Um, and if, you know, I need medicine or I go to the doctor, like it's got to come out of that $34. Otherwise, that's going credit. And he took the time to sit down and teach me about credit and work with me on a budget. Um, and he didn't give me money, but he gave me resources and tools that I needed that helped improve my life to dig myself out of that situation. Um, and that was super helpful to me because I was not, it wasn't a band-aid. It was taking a mm -hmm. critical look at a situation and say, you know, you need to, 
you know, you're constantly starving. Um, I'm not just going to give you a fish. I'm yeah. Teach you how to fish. Right. Um, and we're going to make sure that this this changes for you. And if it hadn't been for that guy, his name was Raphael, and it was like almost ten years ago that he sat me down and did that. If it weren't for him, like I wouldn't be where I'm at because it was just a, a spot that I was uninformed, uneducated on. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, the hour that he spent with me changed my life. And so that actually illustrates something I said earlier. Good deeds begat good deeds. Mm-hmm. Raphael helped you out. And look at you now, 10 years later. You know, yeah. I see what you're doing and I see how you're helping your community. Well, and I've passed the information that he's given me on and said, okay, like, here's how you how you work a budget and financial forecasting for yourself and here's how credit works like we don't have classes like that in high school yeah i learned about credit when i was like 28 uh my parents were had horrible credit and basically were like yo you're gonna get screwed don't mess with credit i mean that was the world we lived in and I was probably 27, 28 before a friend of mine kind of did the same thing and, and sat me down and explained how this all worked. At that point, I tried to get a uh, auto loan and was told that because I'd never had credit, I had no credit, yeah. uh, which still blows me away. This system's so fucked that if you don't owe anybody any money, that's a bad thing. Yeah. I have better credit now that I have like, you know, five grand worth and various, you know, just revolving debt. Uh, but that's a whole nother episode. Um, but yeah, credit's fucked up, and we don't teach that. And it oftentimes takes somebody to that we respect to point that out. Another good example for me is I was undercharged on my labor until the same person that taught me about credit taught me about the value of my labor and was like, bro, you could get away with charging $50 an hour for what you do because it's efficient. And I did, but it never dawned on me that like I could ask for what I'm worth. I'm so in, in inculcated to think that I'm worth the lowest dollar because that's the society we live in. So mutual aid. Mutual aid is building the community and it takes many, many forms. One way is the direct mutual aid like Taylor's talking about. Other ways are things like little free libraries, community pantries, community gardens, and maker spaces are just a few examples. Pause. Oh, we're good. No, no. You got perfect timing. So, uh, that is what we have to say about that. Uh, Taylor, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and letting me come set up shop in your lovely home and hang out with Ghost wherever Ghost went. Ghost is napping. Oh, big shout out to Ghost. Ghost is adorable. You guys uh, are missing out because you don't see the adorableness that is uh, Ghost. So, uh, yeah, any final shout-outs? Uh, where can people follow Kansas City Mutual Aid? Uh, all that good shit. Kansas City Mutual Aid, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we have a public page, and then we have a private group on Facebook, so aid requests to go through the private group and just in general information about us is on the, the public-facing page. Um, and our Instagram and Twitter handle um, is KC Mutual Aid. We have a link tree in our bio that has more information and different ways you can donate. 
Sweet. And I will have some of these links up and available, and I will have that master list up. So if there are any uh, areas in your own life that you could use mutual aid, definitely take advantage of these programs. That's why they exist, yo. So, uh, do, do, do. I guess I should do my plugs and stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can find us on Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Our social media is uh, Red Leg Revolution on YouTube and Facebook, Red Leg Pod on the Twitter. Uh, I was Red Leg Revolution. I'm C-Dubs, and drink lots of water, get some sunlight. You're basically a houseplant with anxiety. And remember, our only hope is each other.